Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Today, our guest is Whitney Dunlap-Fowler, Chief Strategist at Touch of Wit. Whitney, please introduce yourself and tell us what you've been up to. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me on today. Um, I am a brand strategist. I've been a brand strategist now for almost 10 years, uh, starting on the agency side um, at Kantar Added Value and eventually moving to Kelton Global. Now I have my own company, Touch of Wit Creative, where I kind of have been able to run all of my disciplines, if you will, uh, brand strategy, cultural strategy, and multicultural strategy. Awesome. Yeah, I think I started following you um, at your work at Kantar. You did a lot of great projects. Um, And most recently, what caught my attention, you had a blog post titled Cultural Insights versus Multicultural Insights. And I thought that was great because in our industry, um, which I'm sure was one of the reasons you wrote it, you know, in our industry, these terms are used interchangeably. Um, I'm definitely guilty. And I thought, you really broke it down in a clear and concise way. Um, so let's start off. I mean, kind of walk us through the, those differences and your views on cultural insights versus multicultural insights. Sure. Yeah. So you bring up a really great point. As I started getting into cultural insights, even I wasn't completely sure what the differences were between cultural insights and multicultural insights. And that's honestly because I'm an American, right? So culture here, um, uh, which I'll talk about in a bit, culture tends to signify ethnic consumers or people who are not a part of the mainstream. As I started getting into cultural insights, um, I was able to see the differences, but it's still really hard sometimes to explain, which is why I wrote the call. And it really just depends on which side of the equation you come from. So if I were to meet someone who specialized in cultural insight, uh, the practice itself definitely came from Europe, which is why it feels so kind of new here in America. It's just now catching on. Um, And if I were to meet someone who came from that angle and I were to mention multiple insights, they'd think that I was, you know, talking about another planet. However, if I were to meet someone who specialized in multicultural insights, and, you know, specifically said, oh, I'm a cultural strategist, they would essentially automatically think that I'm talking about multicultural um, or ethnic consumers. Um, and if I were to say, well, no, cultural insights is bigger than that, who would rightfully so argue that multicultural consumers are the culture. So I wanted right. to write this article to kind of parse out the differences and not necessarily say uh, without you know, saying one is bigger than the other or saying one is more significant or important than the other, but just to kind of draw in the sand. If we were to start with multicultural insights, that is exactly what it sounds like, right? It is an focus on ethnic consumers in America. And America is specifically unique because uh, unlike other countries, we make sure to understand Hispanic consumers, Asian consumers, American consumers, the perspective of immigrants, LGBTQIA, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we have those unique um, uh, areas of focus here in the, in the United States. The way that that work tends to happen 
is a marketer or a, a brand strategist will come and say, you know, we have this larger strategy. How can I make sure that I'm also speaking to multicultural consumers? It tends to be a narrow, a narrow way, in, if you will. It is a typically or historically a subset of a larger strategy, right? And so yeah. they go to they go to specific brand strategists who specialize in Asian work or Hispanic work or Black work or or all of it. Um, it is a narrower, it is a smaller part or component of culture. The reason this has become a little bit confusing is because as, as you know, and as I know, multicultural consumers are, are doing it right. Like they're, they're the leaders of these trends. They're changing the world. They're the ones that people are, they're, they're creating trends that people are coveting at a higher rate. Thanks to digital platforms, they are in the news more often. They are the creators. And more often than not, they are creating entire new categories, new ways uh, of thinking about things that marketers really want to get in on, right? So they are also kind of pushing culture forward. Um, As we also know, the United States is changing, right? So it's becoming a little bit more... uh, ethnic led, if you will. So that's going to be the new mainstream. So when we talk about multicultural consumers and we talk about cultural insight, we talk about, you know, studying culture, which I'll get to in a minute, separating multicultural consumers from that sphere can be very difficult because they are both, um, they both receive uh, cultural input from large, from culture as a whole, from society as a whole, but they're also pushing culture forward and adding to it, right? So yeah, that's and one I, I just, yeah, and I, and and a great example of that. I just had Nydia Serrano from Pandora, and um, she works. She came from multicultural, but now just you know works general marketing. Another term we could talk about, but um, you know she works general marketing at Pandora, and she was talking about how they're able to look at multicultural consumers specifically. Latino African Americans on their platform, and and there's a subset within those users, of course, but that are trendsetters, and so they can, you know, Pandora can actually look at these consumers, what they're listening to, two three months before it goes to the mainstream. Yes, which I thought was just so cool, right? Like, not only it's the artists, of course, right, which are when we talk about. I mean, music, popular music, Latino artists, African-American artists, but also the listeners identifying these music trends really three months in advance. And and Pandora has a down to a science. They can look at these Latino, African-American listeners and say, what's going to be popular in three months? Because to your point, really influencing the mainstream. Exactly, exactly. And that's a great example. And I think music is definitely one of those categories where you see a lot more overlap um, and a lot uh, the, the faster influential trend, if you will. When we talk about cultural insights, right? So this is the space that um, I specialize in. I also specialize in multicultural insights, but more specifically, the, the larger um, aspect of this. Insights is the study of culture. It, I know that sounds like, okay, duh, Whitney, what does that mean, right? <laughs> it is an analysis. It's an intentional analysis of our everyday behaviors, um, ideologies, values, belief systems, 
and traits that are particularly normative in a particular society. Um, and I say that because cultural insights in the United States is not going to be the same as cultural insights in China or in Europe. When I have to do global studies, then I need to get someone who lives in that environment and who can tell me about the cultural norms in those particular cities and societies. And everything differs by, you know, socioeconomic power, et cetera, where people live, rural versus um, urban, all those things. So when I'm doing a cultural analysis or cultural insights study, I'm looking at society as a whole. What do we do as people? What do we believe? What do, how do we behave and why? What are our value systems? Are we a highly religious society? Are we individualistic? Do we love our family? Um, do we believe in inability or whatever that might be? I'm looking at the broader shifts and trends, if you will, that are in- essentially impacting how the cons- how consumers are perceiving the world around them, and essentially for brands, how you know how they're going to determine what brands are really active in their world and why. Um, these things are often invisible, right? As a basic consumer, I don't go around saying what are visible things that are influencing my decision making to make me put on a red sweater today. You know. Uh, <laughs> When you ask a consumer that, they're not always going to be able to articulate it. So it's really my job as a cultural strategist to highlight the kind of invisible world that's encompassing us all to talk about uh, or to highlight why the data they've gotten looks the way that it does. It's my job to kind of fill in the blank to say, you know, this is a larger shift happening. This is what's impacting your consumer. And this is why it's resulting in these specific trends. And is it, um, does it come down to values or is that just a piece of the, of the cultural insights pie, so to speak? Uh, it's a piece of the pie. So when I'm looking into culture, I'm looking into, um, I'm actually looking into what people are doing. I'm looking for those kind of micro events that are happening so that I can understand uh, what might be coming down the pipeline, you know? So there's a, a, a blip on the radar of consumers doing in-home farming, if you will. Then I'm going to look to say, oh, what is this a symptom of? Why are people now growing vegetables and fruits in their home, right? <laughs> what is this, What could be causing this? It's a kind of a look at the political spheres, the religious spheres, the values and the belief systems, but also what's happening um, socioeconomically in our government and and also kind of marrying that with traditional American ideals to understand where our society is going as a whole and where our perceptions might be leading us in the future. And and how does how has from your view, I mean how has cultural insights now kind of evolved to mean multicultural mm-hmm. insights? I mean, has that been, do you think it's been driven by our industry? Do you think it's driven, like you mentioned, cultural insights coming from Europe and coming into the U.S.? Did we misinterpret it as U.S. marketers? I mean, how did, you know, from your perspective, how has cultural insights evolved to be a substitute for multicultural? Yeah, so... This is so one of the things that I do is semiotics, which I know we'll speak about. And so it's kind of needing to understand the meaning of 
this word culture, right? And to understand culture or ethnic uh, in, in this country, you need to kind of understand how white evolved in America over time. Now, I'm not going to give you a full history lesson, but I can say that when whiteness first came to America, it was definitely used as a categorization tool. Everyone who was not white was deemed as other, right? It was a, it was a way to establish who the uh, population of power was in this country. Um, and it, it eventually extended to religion and um, eventually extended to nativism. What uh, a white American was, was essentially the, the ideal that everyone needed to aspire to in order to be successful in this country. And I want to emphasize everyone because when Irish immigrants landed, when Jewish immigrants landed, when Chinese immigrants landed, when Italian immigrants German, yeah, yeah, they they needed to aspire to the white American ideal. Otherwise they would find themselves without jobs or without land. Um, And so, you know, if they couldn't find jobs and, you know, black people definitely (laughs) were not, you know, uh, in the running, if you will. So, it was a cool. It was a tool of categorization. After World War II, something kind of shifted in the American uh, moral ca- catalog, if you will. I think when there was a witnessing of what was happening to Jewish people in Germany, um, and also probably some economic things with capital, America kind of turned at this corner and said, "You know what? I think tolerance is better." Then, you know, these this kind of race war America was having during the civil rights era. It wanted calm, it wanted peace, and it said, let's just move to acceptance. Tolerance is better. And what that meant was that specifically calling out someone by their race became socially unacceptable, right? If you were to delineate someone by their, by their skin color, it just was frowned upon. It doesn't mean that people stop doing it. It just means that they stop doing it out loud. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. because of that, um, uh, whiteness or the, sorry, the I don't see color era was kind of born. So I don't want to call it out. I don't see color. You're not distinct. Um, and because of that, whiteness being this kind of neutral uh, entity, right? It, it was still normalized. It just wasn't said out loud. It was the mainstream idea. And anything that, w- that was put against that was othered. Uh, whiteness, white Americans do have a clear, but if you did something within your own family that did not adhere to those norms, then you were seen as other. You had other cultural traditions, right? And that's kind of what birthed this idea of culture meaning ethnic (laughs) or culture meaning non-mainstream. And so in America over time, that word has been to signify uh, minorities or people of color. And for a long time, up until I would say recently, whiteness symbolized nothingness. Um, It was not given a type of cultural distinction in America. It was kind of just normal, you know, Um, which is why a lot of times you'll see a pulling from other cultures from some members who are white to make themselves feel culturally significant. Um, But there's always been a, a white American culture. We've just normalized it. And so it feels like there's no difference there. So much to unpack there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just, it, my mind was everywhere, and it's it's interesting, right? As as a researcher, as a multicultural research like researcher, I mean, it does makes me think about the word choices that we're making to market ourselves, right? It's um, it's playing into this, and um, I think this is a good segue. You mentioned semiotics. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm actually, uh, my, you know, my my undergrad was in literature, so you know, really interested in semiotics and love how you've integrated that into your practice as a strategist. But can you kind of explain semiotics um, on a high level and? I think I think for the listeners, I think it'll be interesting, right? To why it's so important the words we choose and to to describe, especially from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, sure. So semiotics is still it's a very European concept. Um, I love the marketers here, but they they tend to be literal. They want the data and the numbers. Where semiotics is kind of an art and a science. Semiotics is an explanation of the meaning of things. So um, if Understanding what a color signify, what a word can signify, what a shape can signify um, in culture is very important for marketers because we are always putting out images and, and messages that we want consumers to immediately gravitate towards. If you don't have the cultural concept of a society or the group of people that you're trying to market towards, the way that those symbols and needs will be interpreted or potentially misinterpreted could could go any any way. And I think a great example of this um, could be the Confederate flag, right? So, because since we're on this topic of race, what it might mean to some people south may mean something completely different to people in the north of this country. Or even a handshake. What is a handshake size? What we've kind of normalized that kind of, that behavior. I don't know what we're gonna do after COVID. But when you get a handshake from someone, how firm it is, how soft it is, uh, that really determines in our minds who that person is as a, as a as a partner or a business person, right? Where does that come from? Understanding the meanings behind things we see, the thing, the gestures that we participate in, the words we hear, it's important, and it's important for marketers to understand the context behind that. What might seem um, as a uh, neutral shape or word or idea in America, for example, may not have the same context or meaning in China um, or in France. So uh, semiotics in my world is just uh, really breaking down how an idea can be expressed, what meanings that um, can be taken on by that object or idea, and more importantly, understanding how it might be expressed in the future. Right. So when it comes to brand messaging, a lot of times marketers come to me and say, we have this positioning idea. What's a fresh way to talk about it? So it's my my job to go into culture. Right. (laughs) And to see how it's been expressed over time. It could be a handshake. It could be a hug. It could be the idea of how the family has evolved over time to say this is what it looks like in the past. This is what it looks like today. And this is what it's going to look like in the future. Let's think about how to strategize on that future idea. Well, the the handshake got me thinking. So we're recording this during quarantine, right? In the middle of a pandemic. And I'm sure you've been thinking a lot about when we get out of this, how this is going to change so much, right? Like you mentioned a handshake, um, but I'm thinking about family, family structures, 
I mean, cause we're, you know, a lot of us are stuck with families or, um, yeah. and not even necessarily relatives. Right. I mean, our, our chosen families, um, yeah, that that just got me thinking. I mean, I, for the from 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 a thing like a handshake, I'm just curious. I mean, have you thought about coming out of this? What what we're gonna use, right? Because I know, for example, a lot of marketing was pulled when the lockdown was announced because it showed images of hugging and shaking hands. I mean, I don't know. Have you have you thought anything about you know how? how are marketers going to portray um, greetings or <laughs> affection yeah. now in the time of COVID? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, a sit and wait game because our country is so divided in how we are reacting to this, you know? <laughs> um, so what's going to become the normalized thing to do might very well vary on how your governor or state reacted to COVID, you know? Um, the South, oh, man, I think, is going to be very different from the North. Uh, I have family in the South, and trying to get them to understand this when it first started was very was like pulling teeth <laughs> um, because it was so serious in 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 New York. So I think there's a bit of a sit and wait to see how far will uh, people are willing to go to change their behaviors and perceptions of a of a greeting and a gesture, um, and we'll have to see how that kind of comes out. But you're right. Uh, I watch television today and I watch all of these shows where people are like in each other's faces and hugging and laughing. And I'm like, oh, exactly. I'm like, well, it feels dated now. Right. Cause it's like, yeah. oh, we're not, do we're not doing that anymore. Right. It's like, it's like when you get a joke, like that's just not, <laughs> that's offensive. That wasn't offensive in the nineties or whatever, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and it's funny you bring up. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about the dis dis divisiveness, but um, unfortunately, if you think about the mask, you know, talking about semiotics, mm -hmm. that means something so different to people. Like, I mean, and I'm generalizing, but like some people in the South versus people on the coast right um yeah. you know to me it's like safety i'm you know doing my part right and to others it's like a symbol of oppression which is crazy um but and right for some, like it's a, a symbol it, of criminalization <laughs> you know Criminaliz so <laughs> yeah wow yeah. so it can like just in that mask it can have many meanings right and understanding what those meanings mean to different audiences, um, to our point, different parts of the country, um, in this in this current cultural moment, what that means politically, um, it's it says a lot. It says a lot by this one gesture of a mask, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think you know to 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 bring things full circle here and wrap it up, like I feel like as marketers, I mean, I, I, when you mentioned semiotics. Um, and also talking about cultural insights, I feel like marketers in the U.S. can really benefit from think thinking about semiotics because we have a so many marketing gaffes, and that's th a lot of different reasons, right? Lack of diversity, lack of, of cultural understanding. But I feel like approaching things from a view of semiotics and thinking about what this means to different people it's kind of an easy fix for marketers, right? I mean, just to start thinking about what 
what the, what does this mean to other people? Yeah, I mean, it, it should be an easy fix. Uh, marketers kind of still believe that people are um, the 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 go to answer. You know, like people have all the answers. And and whilst uh, consumers can tell you they need and they can identify those unmet needs for you and elaborate on them. They can't talk about the things that are subconsciously impacting them, which is how semiotics and cultural insights really works to fill in those gaps, to your point, to create a more complete, comprehensive story. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Whitney. Um, Could you please share, um, I think I found your content on LinkedIn, but I think you have a website or a medium, can you share your your handles and website so that people can follow your work? Yeah, sure. So my website is um, www.touchofwit.com. I have a lot of blog posts on there. I also do have a Medium account, um, but most of the same blog posts are on my website as my Medium account. Uh, You can find me on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Uh, My LinkedIn name is Whitney Dunlap Fowler, of course. And you can find me on Twitter where I kind of uh, tweet about different trends and things that I see across the day. So I'm on all of the platforms. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again uh, for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for having me. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.